Hey there, dear listener. I would just like to say thank you for listening. And before we begin, my name is Blaine, and I am a biologist who specializes in herpetology. All the opinions and thoughts expressed here are my own and are not affiliated with any institution or organization with which I may be a member. This is simply an outgrowth of my passion to share science and my excitement of things I learn along the way. I may read sections of papers, but I will make it explicitly clear when I read directly from those papers and that those authors are not affiliated with me unless otherwise stated. Anything else is simply my thoughts or explanations of what I know or what I have read. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Silly Salamander Scientist podcast. I am your host, as always. Today, we're going to be talking about something that has been all over my TikTok feed, my Instagram feed, Reddit feed, everything for the past couple weeks now. We are going to be talking about uh, mammoth de-extinction. And we're going to get into a lot of bioethics today. I'm going to give you a number of different stories, and we're just going to walk through this together. And of course, you're always welcome to have your own different opinions, and we can debate those opinions as well. But like, this is this is a really interesting subject that doesn't really seem that there is a conversation taking place um, about the efficacy of it and the ethics of it. Uh, at least not in the spheres that, that I'm around. I, I don't particularly focus on T-extinction. I myself focus on preventing extinction. It is a much um, much more applied for, for me. It, it, it works better. But anyways, if you are not aware of what's going on, there is a company, uh, company sorry. There is a company called Colossal. And this company is their, their entire goal is to bring back the woolly mammoth. And if you don't know what the woolly mammoth is, how have you never seen Ice Age? Um, they are basically big hairy elephants that used to live in the tundra, in a way. That's a terrible explanation, I know. I'm sorry, I didn't didn't really prep that very well, but that's everyone should kind of have a general idea of what a woolly mammoth is. And they went extinct around 10,000 years ago. The best, the earliest... Um, number that I've ever seen is 4,600 years ago was the last one that went extinct, and there's different species, and uh, of, of course, but like generally it's around 10,000 years is around the uh, agreed upon time for when they did go extinct. Now, I'm just going to kind of walk you through some of the things that are going on in this website here. First of all, when you click on this website, it is the most horrendous color palette I have ever seen in my life. It basically looks like you're going on to like an early... 2000s website to try and look for this stuff and this is a, a professional company and it starts out with the mammoth may prehistory thunder forward we have the dna the technology and the leading experts in the field next we will have the woolly mammoth alive again which what a what a bold statement to just come out and say like that but like i mean they're not wrong we, we do have it um Earth's old friend and new hero, and so Colossal's landmark de-extinction progress will be the resurrection of the woolly mammoth, or more specifically, a cold-resistant elephant with all of the core biological traits of the woolly mammoth. It will walk like a woolly mammoth, look like one, sound like one, but most importantly, it will be able to inhabit the same ecosystems previously abandoned during or by the mammoth's extinction. Um, and this core value cannot be overstated. The woolly mammoth is a vital defender of Earth. Uh, so... Yes, I'm. Th that's that's a pretty good start so far. And then they go on. They say mammoth the extinction, restoring the past for a better future, ending extinction to advance the genetic future of humankind and the health of the planet starts with thinking beyond what people think is po impossible. Seeing we're doing colossal bioscience today, rewrite history tomorrow. I mean, honestly, this just reads like 
a movie villain. I'm sorry, Colossal, you're probably doing really good work in pioneering science, but like y'all need to choose some better slogans, in my opinion. Um, and here's our 10 core goals to decelerate melting of Arctic permafrost, which yes, uh, that is something that is hypothesized to be possible. Uh, prevent the emission of greenhouse gases trapped within the permafrost layer. Uh, revert overshrub forests back into natural Arctic grasslands. Restore mammoth steppe. Uh, foster an ecosystem that can maintain its own defenses against climate change. Understand the dominant traits among cold-resistant genomes. Save modern elephants from extinction. Establish a proven link between genetic sciences and climate change. Equip nature with a resilience against humanity's adverse effects on vital ecosystems to drive advancements in multiplex CRISPR editing. So starting off, and I guess to, to sum up everything that's going on here, they are going to be taking DNA from a woolly mammoth, implanting it into, I believe, an Indian elephant, and then birthing out that woolly mammoth. And then basically, the, the idea, I assume, I haven't been able to find anything more on it, and to basically just plant that thing back into the tundra and let it go. Obviously, there has to be some more some more steps in there, but in, in short, that's what's going on. And I am not the biggest fan of it, even as someone who does my absolute best to save species from extinction. The idea of taking genes, genetic material, implanting it into a modern species, a different species, not even the same species, and then birthing out a completely different species is... I don't believe an ethical thing to do because there is more that goes into species and survival than simply being alive. There are reasons that different species classifications exist. Now, a lot of these are, are morphological differences or anything like that, but different species have different requirements. They also have different life histories and life histories is everything wrapped up from the timing that they breed their mating rituals how they migrate thing, things like that if you're not familiar with operation migration um a number of years ago i want to say this was in probably the 90s um sand hill or no whooping cranes i'm sorry whooping cranes were on the absolute brink of extinction i want to say there was uh like 19 individuals left and they were in separated populations across uh, north america and what they had to do is they birthed the birds in captivity because that was the only way that they could ensure that they could live. They hand-fed these birds using uh, like a prosthetic bird almost. There's a fantastic video on YouTube if you want to go watch it. Um, reared these birds, taught them to fly, and then taught them how to migrate because the birds that were there were non-migratory because they forgot how to do it. They didn't know. And so they had to take a like a paraglider and a dude dressed up in a, a whooping crane suit and teach these birds how to fly again. And these birds weren't extinct. They weren't brought back after 10,000 years. What's what's the plan here? What are we what are we going to be doing? Are we, are we going to try and teach these things how to be mammoths? Are we going to try and and take them and learn them how to be Indian elephants just or African elephants and just stick them back into the tundra? It doesn't work the same. You de-extincting a species 
for a specific goal. First of all, I, I just don't, th that's very self-serving in a way, honestly, and I can't really get over that fact, but it's not going to be the same species. And I mean, they say it themselves, but you can't just make something new and have no responsibility over that and no consequences for anything that might go wrong with it. Because, I mean, this is a fantastic idea and all, but is it going to work? Have they tried this before? Are they going, you know, and this isn't going to be a process of that's happening anytime soon, but, but what are they going to do? Are they just going to take these things and plop them, you know, into the, into the tundra and then say, you know, get after it, go stomp on some stuff. And these things, they, they have their own mating rituals, migration schedules, um, hunting, defense, uh, inter and inter, you know, interspecies selection, sexual selection, it, anything like that, anything that you can imagine, these species would have had to have had different, which is what made them unique in the first place, which is why they would have split off from the rest of the group anyways. And, and, then, yeah. and then they just end up with a quote down here on, from an astronaut, which I just, I, I find a little bit funny, but I want to read you the definition of, of bioethics as, as I found it. Um, oh, wrong page. Uh, environmental bioethics is an undertaking that seeks just social arrangements that can promote human well-being and at the same time preserve the natural environment, both now and in the future. The core of the environmental bioethics portfolio consists of three basic issues, technology, toxics, and consumption. Uh, environmental biohazards have negative human health impacts. But the role of bioethics is not to achieve the goods of health, but to identify, articulate, and contribute to the maintenance of ethical goods, fairness, equity, rights, dignity, and so forth. Taking justice seriously as a bioethical good will require attending to the health uh, equity implications of our environmental future. Climate change will have adverse effects on public health and infrastructure uh, impacts globally and increase health inequalities between nations and groups. Bioethics must reorient itself according to its original environmentally inclusive aspirations in order to ha be able to address issues that have both human health and ecosystem implications, which either cannot or should not be addressed in isolation. To that end, the clinical and graduate bioethics program have an obligation to ensure that environmental bioethics is elevated to a core competency. More, less of a definition. This was the abstract of, uh, I believe, a book called Bioethics Environmental um, by Robert Fiore. Fantastic. Go read it. But I, I want to take a look just at this last sentence right here. To that end, the clinical and graduate bioethics program have an obligation to ensure that environmental bioethics is elevated to a core competency. In your own opinion, would you consider taking an animal that has been extinct for a very long period of time, um, if for our own lives, not necessarily in the, uh, the realm of, of history, that's been dead for a very long time and the ecosystem has somewhat changed since it's been here and you put it back into the place where it came from. Is that an invasive species? Is that an introduced species? Say if you took dinosaurs like uh, velociraptors and you put them back into Mongolia, if you took T-Rex, if you took T-Rex and put it back into you know, the Pacific Northwest. I mean, they're, they're all earthlings. They're all, they're all born there. That's where they're from. Would those be an invasive species? Would they, they would definitely be an introduced species, but would they be invasive because they're not part of the they're not a part of the naturally adapted um, ecosystem that has evolved 
in their absence. Now, woolly mammoths are a tad bit different because they didn't they didn't go extinct um, very long ago. In fact, most of uh, North America's megafauna went extinct during the arrival of humans. They didn't really go extinct to natural causes, just they it went extinct whenever humans got here. Now, the, I- the idea of taking an animal and plopping it back into an area with basically no regard, I simply don't think it's going to work. Because what do you think is happening to all of our elephants now? They're being hunted to extinction. Their land is gone. You know, their watering holes in their historic areas where, where they've typically migrated through and gone through and, and not had interactions with the humans, those areas are all gone. And they're, they're declining in population numbers because of what humans are done. Now what happens if you take a, you know, 50 of a thing left and you plop them into the, the Siberian tundra? Like, I mean, personally... I don't think it's going to work because I think they'll just get hunted to extinction again because that's what humans do. People who don't care about climate change and environmental awareness are not going to care whether or not what they're, you know, what they're killing only has 50 left in, in the entire world. And we're not, we don't even have 50 of these elephant, you know, uh, of these woolly mammoths. We'll have one to start with. You know, we're we just going to plop that down into, into there and say, get after it, kid. Hope you don't get shot. You know? Think about how mad people got um, with, with Cecil, Cecil the lion whenever that one guy lured them off uh, the reservation area there and then shot him. And honestly, hunting is a very... Um, it's, conservation started with hunting because if you know they're not conserved, then you have nothing to hunt. And so hunters have a long history in terms of um, conservation efforts and the money that goes into conservation and the implications and reasons for a lot of efforts which is why most game species get the most attention when it comes to conservation efforts and conservation funding and such. Now, with hunting in general, and especially hunting um, like African species and whatnot, where I guess you could call them more exotic to us Americans, where people would go pay a significant amount of money to go hunt these species on like chartered hunts almost, those funds actually do help go to conservation because you're typically going to take a male more than likely because you're not going to want to go to you know Africa and shoot a, a, a female lion, I suppose. Uh, I don't know. I've never done it. Um, but that's kind of the idea. And, and if you take out these older males that have lived long lives and had kids already, they've already contributed to the, um, the, the population and their role is kind of done at that point in a way. Um, not trying to get too technical into it, but I have a feeling that's what's going to happen to woolly mammoths just on a non-controlled way, especially if you start putting things in really isolated areas where they're going to be hard to track, hard to take care of and whatnot, which is what it sounds like uh, they're going to do. I don't, I don't remember if they put exactly where they're going to be putting them. They just have a general map, which is not very helpful. Yeah, they, they just say the Arctic, I believe. Um, but yeah. I have a feeling that this it's just not really going to have the consistency that, that they're hoping for because I feel like these animals are going to struggle immensely under a number of different pressures. A, climate change, but that's kind of why they're here, but they're still going to struggle with it. Uh, hunting pressures, human pressures, interactions with humans, not understanding their place in the world, not understanding how to function in the world, and 
I I have my doubts on that, especially. Sorry, I got a, a little off topic there. Uh, well, I guess off my point a little bit because uh, I was talking about bio environmental bioethics, and I kind of went off the went off the rails. Now, bioethics wraps in a lot of things. Basically, it's just should we do this thing? Is there a different way we can do this thing to not cause harm? And while the abstract that I read you wasn't an exact definition of what um, environmental bioethics is, you have to remember that within science, there are areas of exploration that are basically forbidden. Now, when I mean forbidden, there's not like a, a forbidden section of knowledge of things that you just, you know, you can't know, you can't do any of this. But like, there's a lot of safety checks when it comes to science, and especially when it comes to um, vertebrate testing and vertebrate experimentation. And um, bioethics are taken very seriously in academic settings. Now, this is a private company, so there is probably less checks and balances. I don't know the private sector all that well. Um, but the idea of taking something that does not belong to a species and then birthing it from another species with very little genetic diversity. There would be a genetic diversity of one when you start. Um, I, I don't think really passes the bioethics standard that I have. I don't think it's appropriate. Now, there's something called a 5500 rule. I might have mentioned it before. I don't remember. It's where you need 50 individuals to save a species, 500 individuals to do it without um, immediate or severe consequences from inbreeding. We'll have one to start with. Now, we will have a number of different uh, genetic or genomes from different specimens of, of woolly mammoths. But I, I don't really think that negates the issues of genetic diversity. If they're comparing it with the genes of these Indian elephants or whatnot, that's something. But that it doesn't really count because now you're going to have to account for wild breeding as well. And if you know there's only 15 eligible, you know, guys and gals ready to to do the the, the woolly mammoth mash, then those genetics are going to start getting real mixed up real quick unless you're, again, going to be controlling for that somehow. And I don't see that happening over vast areas of, you know, Arctic tundra. It's the control simply is not there. I mean, hell, we did this with Jurassic Park for crying out loud fucking 30 years ago now. And I, you, if you were so preoccupied with whether or not you could, you didn't stop to think if you should. And the, the meaning is true because, like, we're, we're we're now literally harnessing the same power that the people in Jurassic Park were playing with. It's just on something that wasn't gone very long ago, and it just so happens to not be a predator to us. And so the the meaning is less. And I also heard that they're going to try and bring back uh, dodos as well. I don't know anything about uh, great ox or stellar sea cows or anything like that. But the idea of having having this immense power and not doing good with it because this is CRISPR technology I believe to have this power and not use it for good is is bad those who have the privilege to know 
have the responsibility to act. They have the responsibility to teach. They have the responsibility to educate. Now, there are lines that you should not cross as a researcher and just as people in general. And those things, for me at least, and I think for most people, that line is when you cause unnecessary suffering. If this project, by creating this new species, causes unnecessary suffering through, you know, genetic abnormalities, stillbirths, anything, anything like that, that, you know, d- death as before they get out, before they reach age, loneliness, isolation, death by disease that they're simply not prepared for because the genetic diversity is just simply not there, then it's not ethical to do that. I've never, I have not talked to any of these scientists. I would absolutely love to. I, I don't see how this goes well in the long run. I feel like this is more clout than anything because one of the reasons that they're doing this is to keep, I believe, um, methane from releasing into the air because I believe uh, the elephant or the, the, the mammoths are supposed to stomp down onto the ground and uh, keep, the, keep the methane in there because the uh, uh, compact ground keeps the methane in and keeps it from being released into the atmosphere. Now, it's an interesting idea, but whenever you try and take a species and you save it, Ex situ. Ex situ means outside of uh, where it's naturally found. And then you breed it and then everything's great. And then you release it back into the environment, which which killed it in the first place, is not conservation. It's basically just torture because you're raising these individuals and then just releasing them back out into the wild just for them to die again. That is not ethical to do. And I don't see how you get around that if you have not prepared all of these individuals to go back into a suitable place to do so. I recently was in a, um, a, a conversation or like a seminar type of deal where um, the, there are coyotes and wild animals that will end up going into cities. And what happens during relocation of those, uh, those carnivores, I'm not, can't remember if coyotes are considered mesocarnivores or not. I don't think they are. Um, th- you take these carni- you, you take these carnivores that come into the city, and people don't like to see them because they think they're dangerous because they leave their cats outside, and the cats ended up getting eaten. But whenever you take those individuals and you translocate them, they end up dying. If I remember correctly from the paper, it was a one hundred percent death rate, or failure to locate and death rate amongst those individuals. That is an incredibly high amount that that is unimaginably bad now the question is is euthanizing them there better than them starving or getting torn apart by a rival somewhere else which one of those things is more ethical i have my answer i feel like it's a pretty simple answer one of them and the only difference from what i can see is that you just don't see it or feel responsible for it because well that's nature But I think when we're the ones that are controlling that, I think that has a lot bigger implications and more intense implications to ourselves than our own version of humanity than letting something else just go and happen naturally. And I feel like I've been more than than harped on what I don't like about it, and I guess I will say now what I do like about it. I think it is a very interesting approach. I think that it has potential to be very useful, uh, especially in 
current species conservation. Uh, this is CRISPR technology, and CRISPR te- technology is absolutely fascinating. I would love to do a video about it, but I just simply don't have the time to properly look into it um, at the moment to give a, a decent explanation that I would feel satisfactory in presenting out to the world. Now, I think the idea of taking unconventional approaches and trying to apply them to climate solutions is, is fantastic. I've seen a number of private entities cleaning up trash and turning in, from the ocean and turning them into a number of different things and helping cleanups and uh, finding different ways to, to, to mitigate solutions. Like this one company that I've seen takes uh, bottles, converts them back into sand and uses them for uh, beach line restoration or coastline restoration, especially in like marshes and, and salt marshes and things like that. Fantastic. Love it. It's unconventional. It's basically free because all they do is take bottles that people don't want and then they shove them down and turn them into sand and they use that for conservation. That's fantastic. But And I think this, uh, this project is trying to do something kind of similar. And I love that. And I love the idea of in having things how they naturally were a long time ago. I think we haven't caught up to our own technology yet to really understand the implications of what we're about to do in in the future. And so I think our time is better served solving our own issues um, as anthropocentrically as possible because truly a lot, most of our issues are our own damn fault. So solving them by ourselves is probably going to be the more sustainable and rational way to go about this because no one's going to see a woolly mammoth that we just recently created and think, oh, I'm going to stop you know, driving my car because that's not how world politics works anyways. But perhaps it can give hope. Perhaps it can show people that we have the technology to do fantastic things. And if we applied them properly, we could dig ourselves out of the hell that we've put ourselves in, in, you know, climatically speaking and, you know, sociopolitically speaking, if we just collaborated together to do these things and to tackle these different issues, I think could be really beneficial. But your ideas and the words that you write as scientists are not divorced from their political implications or political use and weaponization from those who would read it or use it. So like if you were going to say, I think that we need to drive cars less because cars pollute. You don't get to get away from the implications of the thing that you've said. While what you say may be true, it may be factual, it may be meaningful. If someone says, now those damned liberals just want to ban cars. Look at the discussion between gas stoves and electric stoves and how, in America at least, I don't know about the other world, and how everyone was freaking out one way or another because gas stoves are, you know, were found to contribute to uh, childhood asthma and, and things like that. And people people freaked out because the government was like, well, we should, maybe we should ban them or something like that. Or maybe those people on the internet that were saying it. And how literally a seemingly mundane thing that should have a nice conversation about it, about what we should do and the implications of what happens if we do one thing or another, um, it, tur- it just devolved into madness so, so quickly. 
And this, the scientist who, who did this probably didn't want to start a fantastical argument about um, whether or not we should ban gas stoves or whether or not it's moral to ban gas stoves or anything like that. They just, they had a question, they answered the questions, they printed their results, and this is the, re- this is the, the end result. It, it wasn't their result, it was the end result of what they wrote, which is a hard thing to divorce yourself from as a scientist and as a researcher. But it is very exciting. I would love to see what this technology can do. I would love to read more up about this. Unfortunately, this is a private company, so information is uh, kind of limited on how things operate and uh, the intended purpose and whatnot. But I wanted to come on here and give you my opinion and possibly provide some different perspective on an issue that you may not have really considered before or you may not have known or may not know how to put into words and hopefully I put my words in a correct order enough to help you along with your own thoughts. Now I am genuinely excited for the things that humans will be able to do and accomplish in the future as long as we can cooperate enough, enough amongst ourselves to actually be able to cooperate amongst ourselves I suppose. Um I will be keeping an eye on this, and hopefully uh, things develop, and uh, as things come out, we, we get to see more information and uh, spe- specifics on, on their plans. Now, if you have any questions, feel free to email me at sillysalamanderpod at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you, especially if you have a topic that you would love for me to cover. You can also uh, find me on TikTok at Uneven Cuttlefish. I think that's my name on TikTok, actually. No, it's uh, L.E. Cuttlefish. I Sorry, there's not enough letters on on TikTok. Um, and you can reach out to me there. You can comment on my videos. You can see my shorter form content on here is just me screwing around and saying things that uh, I can't really fit onto uh, TikTok because I don't have 30 minutes to an hour to explain my thoughts fully. So this is my uh, best available way to do that. You can also follow me on uh, YouTube at Uneven Cuttlefish and see some of my other videos and some of my other TikToks and things that I upload there. I'm not as active, but I'm more active on, on TikTok. So please feel free to reach out. Go watch my other content. If you enjoy this, please like, share, wherever you are, share, help this podcast grow. I would very much appreciate it. I would very much love to hear from all of you and all of the things that you are interested in. So until next time.